0: What London Can Be is brought to you by London Community Foundation, an organization dedicated to improving communities across London and Middlesex County. Welcome to What London Can Be, the podcast where we navigate our shifting world, shine a light on the issues our city is facing, and explore the innovative made in London solutions to critical challenges in our community. I'm Diane Silva, Director of Philanthropy at Lening Community Foundation. Today, I'll be speaking with Amanda Kennedy, founder of Utini Social Enterprise, and Michelle Cantor, Executive Director of Carolinian Canada. This year, Carolinian Canada and Utini Social Enterprise were granted $200,000 through LCF's Community Vitality Grant Program for the project, the Creator's Land Community Healing Garden, a social enterprise that will employ Indigenous youth to create gardening kits, which will enable land-based wellness and learning at home with Indigenous food and plants. Take a listen. Hi, Michelle and Amanda. It's uh, good to be with you on today's show Um, So I'm just going to jump right in. Michelle, would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself, your role with Carolinian Canada, and about your organization?
1: Hi. Yeah, I've been Executive Director at Carolinian Canada since 2003. And I grew up in Middlesex County in the Dorchester Swamp, as it happens, where I started my love of nature, and after that, I studied wildlife biology. And um, as I kept returning to my home, I found that a lot of common species were disappearing, it's like bobcat and wow. bullfrog and turtles and quail. Um, so I started becoming kind of obsessed with trying to figure out how to protect wildlife right here at home, instead of. Up north or other places in the world. Um, I think the biodiversity here is so special, and um, that uh, led me to my interest in working for nonprofits and working in conservation, and led me to Caroline Canada.
0: Very nice. And could you just share a little bit about, so in case some of our listeners don't understand, what is Canada's Carolinian zone and why does it have this designation?
1: Sure. Yeah, it is. Some people call it the Amazon of Canada. It's uh, Canada's furthest south ecoregion. And for that reason, it's I sometimes say it's warm, wet, and wild. It has mm-hmm. the highest number of uh, wildlife species in Canada. Right. It's got the mo- like one fifth of the world's fresh water, um, and um, it's the warmest place in one of the warmest places in Canada. So the great productivity, lots of biodiversity. It's beautiful. It has a couple of uh, UN biosphere reserves and um, lots of migration that goes through it so um, it stretches from about Toronto to Windsor and it's full of species found nowhere else in Canada uh, because it is a milder climate Um, but you do find these species down in the Carolinas and Florida which is how it got it how it got its uh, popular name of Carolinian Canada so species like Southern flying squirrel, or tulip tree, or sassafras um, are typical Carolinian species with a southern affinity.
0: Okay, good to know. Thanks for that. And so now over to Amanda. Hi, Amanda. Um, would you mind introducing yourself to the audience and tell us a little bit about yourself and what led you to founding the Utini Social Enterprise?
2: Uh, yes, sagali Sagoli nahawina and gets. Uh, My gifted English name is Amanda Kennedy, and my gifted spirit name is Gawasanahawi. It means they name Carrie for her. Um, And I am uh, the granddaughter of residential school survivors, and I grew up in London, Ontario. So I am a colonized, marginalized, traumatized youth of yesterday. And growing up, um, the experiences and the, the battles and the barriers that myself and my peers had to deal with, I developed programming, supports, community, um, and everything that we needed as youth of yesterday. You know, what we needed to lead us on better paths and give us opportunities at life. I've uh, seen where a lot of our paths have led to, you know, it's, it's either incarceration, suicide, murder, Just it's awful. It's awful to see where my peers have led. And it was because we didn't, we lacked supports. We lacked um, the culture. We lacked a lot of things that my grandparents lost at residential schools. So through my own healing journey, I learned a lot about reconnecting to culture, finding culture, reconnecting to the land. And so I started developing programs and supports for my own community, knowing that this was a a huge um, component that was missing, healing component that we were missing so I developed Yotani, and Yotani is what the youth yes, needed yesterday, and it's a gift for the youth
0: today. That's beautiful. And um, would you mind sharing like, some specific projects that you've been involved with in the past, just so our listeners can get a better appreciation of the scope of the work that you're doing?
2: Uh, yeah, so when Yotani um, was a grassroots organization, and so I opened up a second social enterprise called Gawasanahawi as well to support Yotani. And so I can continue having the camps and doing the work with the youth. So I've been involved with many things like a indigenous learning series, educating a lot of the non-indigenous board members, executive directors and leaders of London. I did that through the Pillar nonprofit. I was also a part of the Wozen project, uh, Women of Social Enterprises of um, Ontario. And I got to work with, I actually got to introduce social innovation and social enterprises into my community. I got to train a lot of the women. Um, So now a lot of them, they have their own social enterprises. They're up and going, so we have a lot of programming and support that are coming in the community. So I've been gifted um, the opportunity to mentor them and guide them through my own experiences and what I've learned developing my own social enterprises and really helping them um, break down many barriers that I had to face and even create opportunities so that they didn't have to face many barriers. And I've also had the opportunity to educate a lot, so I'm an anti-racist educator working with the New university, Schulich, Ivy, UWO, Brescia, as well as I've done been in a lot of elementary and secondary cl- classes, educating on Indigenous histories and how to work with Indigenous people. And I've worked with the Thames Valley District School Board for a few years now, as well as the London District Catholic School Board.
0: Good for you. That's so impressive. And I know, Amanda, I've I've been following you along, and I do apologize for uh, not pronouncing Yotini, yotini correctly, um, but uh, that's very impressive, the type of work that you've been doing. Thanks for sharing that. Um, so now going back uh, to this year's Community Vitality Grant Program, LCF invested $200,000 to Carolinian Canada and Yotini, uh, You two were awarded uh, for this community healing garden project. So I understand that the project builds on pre-existing Carolinian Canada program. And so Michelle, would you mind telling uh, us about this initial project and how it came to be?
1: Yeah, and well, in the pandemic, um, our Go Wild, Grow Wild Expo and workshops were canceled. Um, and our network, we have thousands of rural and urban landowners in our network, um, wanted support at home. And um, we uh, had Brandon Dockstater, uh our Indigenous leadership specialist on staff, and uh, he came up with this Um, program to develop uh, garden kits uh, for um, local Oneida Nation of the Thames residents to grow food gardens that also included wildflower seeds, uh, because he knew that we were working a lot with wildflowers. So the idea was, um, if you could grow healthy landscapes, how, you know, what would it look like? And there's a lot of science that says you need about one third to one half nature um, on the landscape for healthy air, water and soil. So the idea was to give a mix of both food and native plants back to the land. Um, And he worked with indigenous youth to make the kits and help residents make gardens and set up social media and Part of that was because nature and gardening are proven to support both mental and physical health and food security and pollinators and local beauty and resiliency. So it was a perfect fit for the pandemic and it connected to our in-the-zone garden guides that we had developed online with WWF Canada. Turned out in a short time, it was a fairly wildly successful local program and partners were keen to continue to grow it. So we started looking at ways uh, that we could um, keep it going.
0: Very good. And so, Amanda, now over to you. Um, how did you and Yotuni get involved on this in this project? And um, maybe if you could also share about the healing aspect of this project, too.
2: Uh, yeah, so with Brandon Dockstater, too, uh, he does a lot of great community work. And he did the home garden kits. Um, before last the previous year and a lot of the community members really enjoyed that as well as a lot of that was on reserve but a lot of off reserve community members were saying well we would like to be a part of that as well too. Uh, Yotani has been wanting to do a community garden for a couple years now and with the pandemic coming and seeing the mental health issues the lot disconnection between the land losing our ceremonies again like it was pretty much going through history again and we were losing everything I realized that you know we just have to push something through so I was actually very blessed to have um, the London Environmental Network, uh, Growing Chefs and Urban Roots. The four of us came together and said, how can we um, you know, work together and support the Oneida community? And I reached out to Brandon because he was also doing some amazing work. And I knew he was going to do the home garden kits again and said, well, how about you that partner up with Yotani and we can double those home garden kits, but also bring out some community healing gardens And really educating our community on how to grow their own food supply, Um, but at the same time with the community healing gardens, it was going to give us an opportunity to come together as community again to learn our grassroots on how to um, survive and how to grow our own food supply and how to barter and how to share resources and supports with each other so. It was more than just a community healing garden. It was something that was going to bring, it was going to be that that one um, main point that was really going to help nourish a lot more um healings that need to be done. So it was going to bring our elders to the land and our elders were going to share teachings and you know, our, our knowledge keepers are going to come and share the teachings on how to grow their own food supply, but also like teachings on, on our trees and the sun and the moon and the grandmother moon and stuff like that, we're really connecting us with our culture and our, and our traditional ways of doing things. Mm-hmm. And we know that once um, we connect with the land that it really does help with the mental health. So not only just being in the dirt and, you know, working on there and taking care of the the, the um, produce that's growing, the things that are growing, but also just spending time with each other, whether that was social distancing and if it was just a family that could come on the land, it was just that energy that they were going to be connecting with. So that's what we decided to do. And we started working with Brandon and he was involved with Canada and they talked about the other kits that we're doing um, as well. And we thought though, yeah, there's just a great opportunities for us to continue doing the work and, and complementing. So Yotani was really helping um, Brandon scale up on what he was doing and supporting all the amazing work that he was doing. So we were just happy to be a part of that.
0: Wow. Very good. And where will this garden be located? Because I'm sure a lot of people are curious and wondering where this is. And I'm assuming just like you said, others are interested in participating. So do you see this as an opportunity for cross-cultural exchange as well?
2: Oh, yes, yes, we definitely want to. Well, obviously, we're trying to create a space for the Indigenous communities, you know, to have their own space. But we definitely want to see where we can balance that out and bring other people too that want to learn about, you know, what what we're doing and learn about some of the teachings that are, are culturally appropriate to share. So we want to be able to see how we can balance that. Because again, we want to be mindful that, you know, this is a space for the Indigenous community to do the healing work. And a lot of times when we have space, we're always fighting to protect that space. We're always you know, everyone wants to have access and power and privilege is always, you know, invading that space for us. So I think with this project, it is giving us an opportunity because we also have um some acres of land that was actually donated to us too. So we will be having a very large garden this next year, but we're still in the, in the process of organizing those details. And at the same time, really wondering how much we're going to advertise where this location is, or if we're just going to You know, let those people that are ready and doing the learning and doing the work on, you know, become a better ally and decolonizing themselves. And when can we invite them to the space? So we're just really trying to be mindful of that. And and how do we balance that and protect again, protect our land, protect the energy, protect the food, protect the children, the women and our community and our teachings. Um,
0: Okay. No, I'm glad you explained that. Uh, thank you for that. And so I understand that this will be a social enterprise and um, obviously you have expertise in that area, but can you expand a bit on the business model?
2: I think that would be for Michelle, because I think you were talking more about the Carolina's business model. Yeah. Enterprise.
1: Yeah. So we developed um, with Brandon's help, a wildflower garden kit And because I I think a lot of people have seen those wildflower seeds at the, you know, Canadian Tire and whatever. And um, a lot of them, well, most of them are are not local and they're not native to this area. And they actually, a lot of them do harm to local ecosystems. So we wanted to counteract that with a, a kit that's really easy for people to grow with local wildflower seeds that centered Indigenous businesses. Um, And so the kits would include um, information about local Indigenous plants as well as Indigenous culture and a healing garden guide. And so the idea is that people who can afford it can buy those kits and participate in these programs at home and through online workshops and have that connection to that community garden that Amanda's talking about in a way that builds understanding and support and creates space for indigenous-led programs and also safe spaces. Just empowering people to grow little uh, healing gardens everywhere because Mm -hmm. that's what we need in our society now is a lot of little healing gardens that um, can grow more seed and spread out over time. For sure. And
0: where can people access these healing garden kits? Like, where will they be distributed? Where do they learn where to find these?
1: So, part of the um, job of this uh, partnership is we'll create something called a healing garden kit that reflects um, a lot of the principles that Amanda has talked about. Um, in the meantime, we did a pilot project and there are some now available online. We called wild garden kits. People can go and check them out at our website, Caroline Canada. Okay. Um, and oh, sorry. I should yeah, say sorry. that they through this project too. We are looking at training a network of community ambassadors that can help uh, distribute and build connections across neighborhoods uh, to help people um, get the kits and also um, understand how to use them.
0: Okay. And uh, sticking with you, Michelle, for now, um, was there anything you and your team learned during the original Garden Kit project um, that's new with this he, that you've you know been able to build on or or add on since you first initially started with this project?
1: Sure. Um, I have to say, we learned so many things. It's hard to prioritize. um just working and prioritizing indigenous led conservation has changed, um, shifted the paradigm for us. Um, But one of the biggest learnings I've had is that native plants and indigenous plants are viewed as friends and relations on the landscape. So everything we need to do is in partnership with them. Um, In indigenous culture, they recognize that and understand it. And and others have a long way to go to build that into um, how we take care of the land. Um, So for that reason, we have to be really careful that we're not commodifying native plants. Um, We're not um, treating them with disrespect. Um, And at the same time, it's a call to action to create space for them and get to know them as neighbors and friends and relations. Um, Most people know milkweed. Milkweed and monarch now, um, but there's 1500 native plants that need attention, recognition. And just like you live with your neighbors next door, um, it would be great if everybody learned what the native and indigenous plants are locally because that's how we can really save the planet.
0: Mm -hmm. And uh, this question is directed to either you, Michelle, or Amanda, how does this project and projects like these contribute to the work of truth and reconciliation?
1: Yeah, so I think truth and reconciliation is a whole way of approaching everything. Um, This project is just a tip of the iceberg, I think, uh, hopefully of greater work to come, uh, that starts to build bridges and understanding and create space uh, for indigenous ways of knowing and being and and um, understanding the calls to action of truth and reconciliation, implementing them in your community where you are, supporting indigenous led projects, businesses, and art. There's so many different ways to um, start. Um, if you haven't yet or continue on, if you've already started to support um, indigenous communities and truth and reconciliation. Um, And we like to think at Caroline Canada, we have to go beyond reconciliation to really empower um, our society to be um, very much indigenous led in ways um, that support, I shouldn't say, society, that we support Indigenous leadership in ways that empower Indigenous communities to be healthy and resilient. And while we do that, we will also be helping everyone to become a healthy community together.
0: Right. And do, you, do either of you see uh, these healing garden kits and, uh, you know, being something replicated in other communities as well? Do you see the potential for that?
1: I see that uh, in the work we're doing uh, in our pilot project that was partially supported by um, 3M and Ontario Trillium Foundation. Um, we had a partnership and continue to have a partnership with Say, a native plant grower at at Six Nations, and we distributed pilot kits to Caldwell First Nation and Zibing and. There just seems to be um, a swelling of interest to support um, Indigenous ways of knowing and being, but also at the same time to have hope for a healthier future. And as we all face these crises of biodiversity, extinction, climate change, A lot of the answers are there in this ancient green technology called native plants. And it's so simple for everybody, whether you're nine or 99 to grow it. Um, So yeah, we see this as um, a way we can work with Amanda to to refine um, an approach that is healthy for all communities and um, really supports equitable access to healthy landscapes for everyone.
0: Well said. Thank you. Um, And Amanda, did you have anything to add to that? Uh,
2: Yeah, I think when when it comes to working with Indigenous communities or even um, wanting to learn about Indigenous communities, definitely lead by example. And when I lead by example, it's, you know, going to the communities and creating space for the truth. We always talk about truth and reconciliation, and we always want to jump to, oh, well, this is how we're reconciling everything, and this is how we're, we're making things better. But we don't realize that with that intent, you're doing more impact. You're creating a more negative impact and actually taking many steps further away from reconciliation. And so I think with this garden project, this community healing garden project, it's for the Indigenous community, and it's creating that space for truth. You know, because a lot of people, too, are wanting to come to the Indigenous communities and, and and learn from us. But at the same time, we're still learning our truth as well. Like, I just recently found out one of my grandfathers was a residential school survivor on September 30th. I knew three of them were. I just found out the fourth one. So that changes a lot of where I'm, you know... in really reflecting on where my life is going and where where it's gone because of the truth that I sit with. So a lot of people, non-Indigenous people are are learning as well, too. And it's a shocking truth that they're finding out. And of course, you want to learn more. You want to know details. You want to know the stories. You want to know, like, how are we doing with this? But at the same time, I think non-Indigenous people need to be very mindful that we're still learning this truth as well. And when you come to our communities and say, okay, well, we want to do this and we want to do that, that you're really, you're just pulling from us and you're abusing power and privilege Mm -hmm. because you're not being mindful of going to our communities and saying, okay, how are we giving to this community? How are we uplifting this community? How are we supporting this community? Or are we coming to this community with expectations and pulling from them, wanting their stories, wanting their truth, wanting them to fill out our surveys, wanting them to listen to our information sessions on what they should do with their land and their culture and how they should go about it, you know, and I think that when it comes to leading by example, it's creating space for the Indigenous people to learn their own truth and then again, and with the non-Indigenous people sitting with that truth and continuing to learn that truth, because a lot of people go to one or two information sessions or you they read a really good book by or, you know, an amazing Indigenous person and hear a really good truth. However, then they think that they're ready to move ahead and start doing information sessions and, and start even consulting in this field when they, they're not Indigenous people. Yeah. So I think that when it comes to leading by example, it's like, are you creating space for the Indigenous voice? Are you creating space for the Indigenous people? to even just sit and learn their truth and sit with those feelings and that's the reason that we're bringing this healing garden because we're learning this truth but who is helping us deal with the anger the the guilt the intergenerational trauma that all those emotions that stem when you hear that more children are unburied it just makes you feel are buried it makes you feel about how my grandmother my grandfather my you know and makes you think like that and when it's your own people It's your own heart that's involved. It's hard. And we can't just go home at night and, you know, go back to our privileged lives and go into our warm houses where we can drink our water and forget about the past and move on and then go in the next day and say, okay, well, I feel like being an ally again. And now I want to do work, truth and reconciliation. The truth is, is we never get to escape this reality. The truth is, is we're still fighting genocide, we're still fighting poverty, we're still trying to fight for the land to have our own food, we're trying to protect our children, you know, CAS is the residential school today. You know, it's they're still doing that. And so we're still fighting with all these battles and all these people are trying to come to our communities and say, oh, we want to take 10 steps towards truth and reconciliation. And I read a book and I went to a information session. So therefore, I'm ready to sit with you and learn your truth. And now let's let's reconcile this. Let's figure out how to move forward. And I think that's where you need to learn humility and respect, you know, because you need to learn that, you know, that power and privilege is putting you in a whole other place that you don't see color. And you have the privilege to walk around and be blinded to racism that indigenous people like I can't even step out my front door and I have to face racism in 2021. I I face racism within the universities wherever I work. I'm constantly fighting to protect myself and protect the youth and the communities and saying this like just give us the space to heal. Give us the space to learn. I I respect that a lot of people want to come and be a part of this healing journey, but they got to do their own work do your own work, and if you're jumping to the chance and trying to do consulting work and you're trying to do partnerships and you're trying to do all this stuff without doing your own healing work, again, you're abusing your power and privilege and you need to learn some humility and respect. So I think that this is what this healing, this opportunity that we got now with this grant is giving us as a community, as an indigenous people and community to come together and do some healing work. And maybe in a year or two, then we're ready to share we're ready to share and we're in better places that we can step into these spaces and share our truth. And it's not going to do more damage than good. Because, mm-hmm. again, people are pulling us and pulling us into these spaces and wanting us to speak this truth. But don't realize what emotional labor this is, right. you know, how much this affects us. And when we're drained from giving all our energy to speak all this harsh truth, like it's a hard hear to, It's so hard to hear. Can you imagine standing in front of people and always speaking it? And people just want to keep hearing more and more and more, but they're not realizing, like, what are you taking? You're pulling from us. You're constantly pulling, 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 and you're not giving. So I think with leading by example is creating space and hearing the Indigenous people, because we will tell you, we don't want to do your surveys. We don't want to do your research. We don't want to tell you this information. We want you to go learn it on your own. But there's other... Consultants and educators out there, like myself and many other in London, that are saying, you know, we are here. We want to educate you all because we know there's a lot of non-Indigenous people that want to learn this truth. But let's not quit jumping to reconciliation because there's so much truth that needs to be learned. We're talking 600 years, millions and millions and millions of stories. So if you even heard one or two, that's not even the tip of the iceberg. You're not even close to that iceberg. So. I think that's just what comes. We just really need to slow it down a minute and realize that this is going to take time. But every step we take is a positive step towards coming together, you know, learning, healing, and growing together. And as communities, then we can start reconciling together with good hearts and good minds, which is a traditional way of walking
0: for sure. And you know what, Amanda? just everything you said there, I think it beautifully brought this all together. Um, The significance of the Healing Gardens, the significance of that journey of truth and reconciliation, and a reminder uh, for us non-Indigenous people, slow down, um, create the space, listen, and um, don't just try to force, uh, like you said, uh, the the reconciliation part, because everyone's journey and stories are different. And I'm glad you reminded us all that you're still going through that journey yourselves, right? Um, So. Well said, Amanda. Thank you for that. Thank
2: you.
0: And I think with that, I think it leads us to um, my final question. And how about, Amanda, I go to you. What do you think London can be and how do you think we'll get there together?
2: When I first started doing consulting work three and a half years ago, I London, I was like, I don't even know if I want to work with London. But after, again... Stepping into so many different spaces, organizations, small, medium, large businesses, especially even over the pandemic, so many Zooms, where there was 10 people to 350 people, you know, and seeing that there was a lot of organizations and a lot of leadership that were saying, we want our teams, we want our groups and our communities to learn this truth, but a lot of individuals in London, like I've kind of been able to connect with so many individuals in London through the trainings that I've done through the universities, through, you know, Pillar Nonprofit and um, through the Thames Valley and, and the District School Board. Like I've been able to connect with so many non-Indigenous people and educate them that even today that I can proudly say that I see these changes, even with London Community Foundation. London Community Foundation, I are too worked through a lot and to become... I'm good with each other and walk alongside each other. And now we're strong allies. I mean, we support each other. But that was a process that took time, that took energy, and that took mistakes. Yeah, And then that took even us to swallow our pride and say, okay, let's try this again. Let's continue having these conversations. And I think that's one thing I'm proud of with London is that London will make mistakes, but they'll continue to have these conversations and say, because everyone that I've had run-ins with have turned around and come to my workshops. And they had said, okay, we want to learn to do better. And we're listening and they listen and I see the changes that they make within their organizations. I see the team the changes they make within their teams and even the changes they make within themselves. They come more mindful, more aware. And even years later, I have people that are down the street or will stop me and say, I went to one of your workshops or I was in one of the classes that you presented to and you changed my way of thinking. And since then, I'm more mindful of Indigenous people. Since then, I've been working on how to be a better ally, how to continue learning, how to continue listening. And it's that's one beautiful thing is that the people in London are listening they're listening and I'm hearing that from other leadership. We're seeing that leadership is changing. We're seeing that leadership is stepping up and saying, hey, let's step out of our comfort zone. Let's call ourselves out. Let's call our organizations out and let's see how we can make those changes. And yeah, I'm proud to see that London's making those big steps forward. And I think eventually can be an actual example of how other cities should follow its lead by giving the space for their Indigenous leaders to step forward and do the work that they need to do.
0: Very nice. Thank you for that, Amanda. Now, Michelle, over to you. What do you think Lenin can be and how can we get there together?
1: Um, I'm just um taking in what Amanda said and um not sure I can say anything beyond that, but um I agree, it's about creating space and building those relationships with the land that we all are missing to some extent. So, restoring relationships with the land across all families. Um, I think London can have thriving, resilient neighborhoods where all children have equitable access to nature and healthy landscapes on their doorsteps, and healthy food and safe spaces to be able to walk out on their doorstep and and that has to start with seeds. I think what this project does is provide some seeds for thinking and growing and nurturing. And um, we just need to sometimes have patience to let it grow, but we also have to be ambitious and plant those seeds. So I I think London will, will be able to thrive as long as it continues to take steps in the right direction.
0: Well said. Thank you. And I know I'm really looking forward to seeing how this evolves with the Community Healing Garden Project. I wish you and your people all the best uh, with this journey. And thank you so much for your time today. I really enjoyed learning more about this project with the two of you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of What London Can Be. Look for us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. To learn how to subscribe to this podcast and for more information about today's guest, visit us at lcf.on.ca slash whatlondoncanbe. If you like this podcast, tell a friend and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You'll find links on our website. Thank you again for joining us.